and welcome back to the Holy Hardwood with Pat and Tony. After extended holiday hiatus, the boys are back to discuss Pelicans basketball. Welcome back, Pat. Welcome back is right. Uh, last time we chatted, I think it was the night of the in-season tournament. So a lot's gone on with this Pelicans team uh, coming into this game against the Memphis Grizzlies on a 4-0 uh, record after that uh, embarrassing loss to the Lakers. Um, a lot of good to take away from this last like week and a half stretch of going 4-0. Uh, but the ultimate test was tonight with the return of John Morant and this Memphis Grizzlies team, uh, which, you know, Jaw did his thing late, making that last uh, second shot and ultimately propelling them over the New Orleans Pelicans tonight. Yeah, and, and then welcome back, Tony. Happy to, to get together here, um, sit down and discuss this. I always think it's it's beneficial to, to step away and maybe just to absorb some of these games and, um, you know, maybe not be put into a position where you need to offer direct feedback at all times, right? You can really consume it and, and think on it and, and look at things as a whole. Um, you know, you, you touched on that four game stretch coming out of that, um, you know, I think it's safe to say embarrassing loss in the in season tournament. Um, you know, that, that in season tournament game is behind us, but, when you look at that four-game stretch, um, you know, they were put in a position where they did have a very favorable schedule. Um, you know, that's just throughout an 82-game schedule, you're going to you're gonna have ebbs and flows, right, in the schedule where you're going to have stretches of games that um, are certainly more difficult than others. And, and this was on the softer side of that with, um, you know, those four games against teams that, you know, I think it's safe to say the Pels were the favorites coming into each one of those games. So it was good to see that um, despite having – different guys on different nights step up. They, they found ways to compete and and win and play different styles and ultimately take care of business and come into this game, like you said, coming in on a four-game stretch and um, really saw them starting to, to make some headway there in the Western Conference as, as standings start to get tighter and tighter as we get deeper into this season. So um, certainly some positives there, but I think those games um, and the development we've seen over the last four games have really segued into this game tonight, right? Um, Grizzlies come in being a team that, that we've had difficulties with in the past. They're a team that certainly when they're when they're led by John Morant offer a, a unique challenge in terms of his athletic ability and um, his star power to, to really drive that team and, um, you know, really make those around him better and, and more efficient. And, um, you know, ultimately we knew it was going to be a tougher task when we went to Memphis, right? And they were without Jaw, So um, we knew it was going to be a tough matchup coming in. And I think here, sitting here after this game, I think we both have some, you know, pretty unique um, talking points on this and, and maybe can both offer some different insight from, from different perspectives when looking at this loss against the Grizzlies. Uh, no question about that, Pat. Um, you know, I'll kind of let you... Uh, take over from here a little bit just because I think you have some more insight about the game on uh, kind of seeing it you know in full effect seeing it from start to finish uh, where I kind of saw bits and pieces but uh, I'll comment on the bits and pieces that I did see but I'll kind of let you take this away in whichever direction you want to take it and if I have any feedback or anywhere to hop in here I'll you know hop in Sure, happy to go ahead and break this one down. Um, you know, starting off, obviously, you knew this game was going to be unique in terms of um, it was a national TV game. It was against a, 
you know, conference rival, I would say, over the last couple of years in, in the Memphis Grizzlies, right? A team that we've had some some pretty good matchups in the past, team that we we match up favorably against. And, and they also have some guys on their roster that give us some fits as well. Um, and then, you know, the added caveat on top of that was the return of John Morant after that 25-game suspension um, being handed down from the NBA in the offseason. Um, you know, people were questioning whether or not he would come in looking very sharp and, and would play, you know, extended amount of minutes as he typically would if he wasn't coming off of a extended suspension like he was. And um, I think those those questions were answered pretty quickly. Um, you know, you saw him in the first quarter come out very aggressive, um, looking to get to his spots, pick up the pace, um, play with a lot of tempo and, and really start to make things easier on guys like, you know, Jaron Jackson and, and Desmond Bain, who although didn't have a great shooting night, you could see that he already was, um, you know, getting some pressure relieved on him by just having John Morant sharing the backcourt with him once again. So um, in terms of um, the impact it would have on the Memphis Grizzlies, I, I wasn't surprised. I figured we it would be a tough game um, dealing with the, the added energy and motivation and, um, you know, just all the different things that come to a team when they get a, a guy such as Jaws Caliber back in the lineup, right? You knew they were going to get an influx of energy and, and they were going to be playing together and being playing, uh, be playing motivated, um, you know, as a unit, despite just Jaw himself coming out with something to prove. And, and I think he did a good job of that. You know, he, he changed a lot of things for the Grizzlies. He gave them um, that dynamic superstar that was able to put pressure on the rim and, and get into the paint all night. And, and really caused our defenses fits. But, um, you know, that's something we're used to, especially based on our, our previous matchups on Ja. That's why when when playing and, and one, when healthy, he is one of the more impactful guys in the league um, just from a physical standpoint, right? He's so explosive and so athletic um, that he just, he causes a lot of pressure on your defenses and, and causes you to, to really be stressed. And you really do have to get to a place where you're going to bend and not break um, from a defensive standpoint. So, you know, First things first, I, I think hats off to them. They did a good job of coming into a place and, and battled all night. And especially, um, you know, you got to give it up to Jaw, right? Coming off a 25-game suspension, he had mentioned he hasn't played a, a real game of five-on-five five in an NBA arena for close to eight months, right? So you got to give him his credit where credit is due. He played a very good game, all things considered. And, and I think you saw that, you know, the Grizzlies really relied on that and really thrived off that, especially late. Yeah, I can't disagree with, you know, any of those points um, about Jaw and the Grizzlies and kind of like what we did. But uh, I don't know. It's just it's just one of those things where you have a game like this and you start out like you did and it was a close game. Then you kind of hit them in the mouth in the second quarter and build that, you know, 20 to 25 point lead. I, we say it all the time. Yes, these are NBA players and NBA teams. People blow those leads all the time. but you know, when you're you're the Pelicans, you, you really hope that you could have gotten this win, especially them coming on a back-to-back. Yes, they add jaw, and a spark like that will be, you know, huge for a team. But, you know, once you kind of hit them in the mouth on the second night of a back-to-back, you should have came in in that third quarter and really uh, put the nail in the coffin there. And that was kind of really upsetting to see just from my uh, vantage point. Yeah, that's that's a fair assessment. Um, like you said, you know these are NBA players, NBA teams, and, and runs are, are going to happen, and, and sometimes you're going to get or be on the you know the losing side of that. But I think I think a lot of it is how 
you end up on the losing side if you happen to and, and how frequently, right? There's going to be times where that's going to happen. But to really start to have a, a tendency or a it becomes a characteristic of your team that when you get up 20, 25 points in a game, you suddenly feel less in control than you would be if it was a back and forth possession by possession game. I think really it really shines light on some some issues that this team is having on multiple fronts, right? That shouldn't be a scenario where if you do find yourself up 20 points late into a second quarter or coming into a second half, I mean, you should pretty much be in cruise control and and you know, you're you're looking at getting guys extended rest and getting out of that game sooner than later with a win and it just seems like this team really really struggles when they're put in a position like that and I think there's a multitude of reasons that that occurs. Um, you know, it's obviously a gift and a curse to have as many talented guys as the Pels do offensively. Um, and especially a lot of guys that are, um, you know, they can catch fire fast and, and they can fill it up very quickly when looking at, you know, guys such as uh, B.I., C.J. Zion, and, um, you know, even a guy like Trey Murphy's late emergence here. Um, you know, those are all great things to have, but I think you also have to be careful of the fact that their ability to score offensively and, and how explosive they can be can really be a blinding spot in terms of, I think it covers up a lot of things that you're really not focusing on when you see it, see them going to run like that in that second quarter. Right. Um, just because of um, how impactful they can be on the offensive end. And then I think what you end up seeing later in these games is as they're starting to cool off or the opposing team is, taking things away, you know, as they rightfully should, and you should expect that they're going to do. I think it starts exposing those, you know, one would call them warts that your team certainly has. And, and, and that's what I think we saw happen. I think they just went, um, you know, when looking at, at Brandon and CJ's second quarter, I mean, those two guys went pretty nuclear, right? They, they were getting good shots every possession and, and they were um, hitting a large portion of those. I know Brandon had a big second quarter, um, CJ at half was sitting five of six from three, which is great, right? But you, you can expect that there's going to be a regression or a, um, he's going to fall back to the norm at some point. And when that happens, it, it puts a lot of, um, you know, extra pressure on those weak points of your team. In, in a game like tonight, right, you, you saw a Herb Jones who typically his um, bread and butter and his role on this team is to be a defensive stopper and you know, usually you can chalk it up to having four or five defensive highlights a game that you can refer back to and say, you know, do you remember when Herb got in this passing lane or he made this rotation and, and got a deflection or, or got a block, right? And, and this just wasn't one of those games for him. He really struggled keeping John in front of him and keeping him out of the paint and, and was kind of playing behind the ball um, for the extent of, of those possessions. And I think whenever Herb is put in a position like that, which are few and far between, right? He is one of the better defenders in the league, but on a light tight tonight when he's not impacting the game on a defensive basis, right? He doesn't have a ton of value on the floor, um, especially as those other guys really start getting it going and they look to getting um, those guys off the ball, as you saw later in the game with Brandon after he was, you know, had really found a, a rhythm and is playing at a, a super high level. They were essentially taking the ball out of his hands and we're not going to allow him to beat them. And and that's where guys like Herb come into play. And um, this just was, was not a good game for Herb. You know, he, he wasn't able to put pressure on the rim, um, attacking closeouts um, because they weren't closing out to him. They weren't respecting him as a perimeter shooter. They were living and dying by him 
um, catching and shooting. And, and, you know, ultimately that was a, that was a good decision by the Memphis Grizzlies because, because Herb wasn't able to make them pay. Um, so in terms of, of Herb's production, I think that is more of just a shock it up to, it, it was a bad night for him. It was a bad matchup. I don't think that's a, that's an overall theme with Herb. You know, I think that's just, you know, one that you got to move on and accept that he just didn't have it tonight. But, um, in those moments where a guy like Herb Jones doesn't have it, you, you got to be able to rely on some of those other guys that, that you should be able to pencil, pencil in every night to be um, very impactful. Um, I do know that obviously coming into this game um, and, and kind of working off of that Lakers game, the in-season tournament, right, where four or five games were moved, and it has been an, an up and down four or five games when looking at a guy like Zion's production, and he's certainly taken a lot of flack in the media, and I think a lot of that is, is rightfully so. Um, he's put himself in that position to to garner that negative attention and negative feedback. Um, but but Zion also wasn't very good tonight. And I, I think that unfortunately where I draw a lot of concern in terms of Zion's production and Zion's role on this team and his fit is I, I think ultimately you're you're seeing uh albeit small, it it is a sample size and you're starting to see a trend. Um, of really the impact he can have on a game um, when you're playing teams of this magnitude and these teams are playing the style that they're playing, right? I think I, I think it's fair to say if you were watching that game from start to finish, that one had a little bit more of a end-of-season, postseason, play-in tournament type of feel rather than your typical Tuesday night 6.30 tip-off in New Orleans. And a lot of that comes from the energy of it being a nationally televised game. Um, a guy like John Morant returning, right? There were a lot of eyes on this. And and you just really saw Zion struggle, right? Um, all, he is an incredibly explosive player. He has the ability to, to be very impactful from night to night. But I think as you're seeing him work through this season, it's just he's so limited offensively that whenever he is, you know, facing any team that has either a – primary defender that can really disrupt him and keep him from getting to his spots initially or even worse you know even worse a, a perimeter or a rim defending big such as Jaron Jackson who has a lot of length and can um you know he can play vertically and, and use that length to deter him it's just there's not a lot of other things that Zion can really turn to to be impactful on a game like tonight I mean you look at he played 25 minutes and that's all that's considering the fact that he um you know dealt with very early foul trouble, which took him out of that first quarter. So, you know, outside of that first quarter, he did play a large amount of minutes. He had as many opportunities as needed to work into that rhythm. And you just, you didn't see him, you know, really get it going tonight. I think it's pretty inexcusable for a guy of Zion's talent and a guy of Zion's, um, you know, usage when he's playing the right way to, to essentially, I believe he didn't even get to the free throw line tonight. And if so, it was, it was one or two trips, not, nothing in terms of what we come to expect from an aggressive Zion Williamson. So um, that is concerning to me. I think that that is something that is is trending in the same direction. I, I it's it seems like it's getting worse. It's getting harder for him to score um, and create, you know, offensive opportunities for this team as they're facing some of these um, more similar situations. Um, like this game, like the play-in tournament, like some of the other play-in games or uh, tournament games, in-season tournament games, um, I think we're starting to see a trend, and I think it's a trend that um, certainly needs to be discussed. And 
I think that, you know, as great as Zion is, at times it, it becomes very difficult to navigate because obviously you feel like Zion should be in the game, um, you know, as big of a part of, that he is of this team and the role that he has on this team. But ultimately, I think it's it's not the best thing for this this group as a whole um, to sometimes have him out there. And I think that that him being out there and not being able to be impactful um, in a multitude of ways is is really becoming debilitating at times for this unit. Yeah, Pat. I mean, a lot of insightful things saying there. Um, I don't know. I just shake my head every time. It just seems like there's a, you know, big game feel, big time lights opportunity for Zion. And, you know, you just hate to say it, say it and, you know, you're rooting for the guy, but it just seems like he always kind of falls a little bit short in these moments. And it's, it's just not a good thing to see. And there's, you know, confidence wise as a fan or as like a teammate, like you expect Zion in this game to, you know, put up his normal numbers. And for whatever reason, it seems like when there's just a, oh, it's the big night Tuesday, national TV, now all eyes are on you. And whatever it may be, it sometimes it just falls flat. You know, what I love about this team is kind of going back to this last week or this four game stretch here. You know, Zion played really big after that uh, humiliating loss that the team had against the Lakers, came out, had his 36 points or whatnot. Then you saw the next game, I think Brandon had 40, and then the game after that, you know, Jonas had 25 to 29, and then CJ's turn on Sunday. But when in doubt, when these games get tougher and, like we said, have that big game feel, I mean – I know what I'm getting from 14 every time. The outlier of that Lakers game, yeah, he didn't play that well. No one played that well. But going into all these, even you saw Brandon struggle early just with his skill and how he can get to his spots and get into a rhythm like that. You just see how just talented that guy is. And it just, I don't know if it's a mentality thing with Zion or what's kind of stopping him from breaking through in these moments, but like you said, it's a hindrance because, you know, if I'm coaching that that group, say this game or in some games past, I mean, it's hard to say you take Zion off the floor, but you've seen it when you have a certain group out there of a CJ, Brandon, Trey, Herb, whatever combination you want to go. If you want JV on the floor or JV off the floor, you know, you can put different people in there. The offense has more space. There's more opportunities for a Trey Murphy to get minutes, to get more shots, which then I think in turn tonight, you go with that starting group, which probably more than likely uh, Taylor Jenkins said, we're not going to guard three of these guys out here late in the game. We're going to double BI, let them, you know, blitz all those screens. And then he's going to have to pass it to the middle of the floor and have those guys make the decisions for him or make tough shots. Cause they, you know, jaw was on Herb and not making, any decisions of guarding him whatsoever jv they're going to live with whatever jv does if he rolls uh to the basket and then with zion they know he can't shoot so if you can kind of you know wall him up at the free throw line it becomes you know like we saw cj got those two shots and ultimately missed him at the end but i think it just with zion in here and some other like jv in these types of games like i wish 
I would have saw Trey Murphy out there or a Dyson Daniels who played some limited minutes, but in those minutes was very successful. Maybe you switch a Zion and Herb and just see what you get from a Trey and a Dyson if you're still wanting to go with JV to get rebounds and whatever it may be. But I feel like in the long run, it's it's bad to say, but you've seen this team look really well with Zion off the floor in some of those key moments. Yeah, and that's that's pretty well said. I mean, nothing that I would dispute there. If anything, I think there's two, I would say, main concerns or questions for this group moving forward, you know, looking at, at the rest of this year and being competitive and, and then making some tough decisions down the road is I think first staying with, with the Zion question, I, I think there's always, I think it's safe to say there's always been areas of concern or deficiency in Zion's game, right? Even at his best, he's always had deficiency in terms of it, it, it was hard to get enough shooting around him because of his inability to space the floor or operate in any spaces other than the paint. I think he's also has a lot of concerns on the defensive end of the floor. And I think, you know, when he was playing at the highest of his powers and, and the peak of his game, I think he was so dominant on the offensive end on the, and on the interior that it was you were able to offset some of it and you were able to live with some of the deficiencies because he was playing at an otherworldly level. I mean, you had made the comment earlier, right? You expect Zion in a game like tonight to get his number. Well, those numbers themselves have diminished, right? Even his the own expectations that we have are not the same. We're not asking Zion to give us 27 and 8, right? We're, that has come down a level. He's not the same player as he was when he was at 27 points a game, 8 rebound um, guy. You know, he's a 21 to 22 point a game, 5 rebound guy at this point. Now, do we ever see him get back to that? I can't answer that now. Um, only really he knows that and only the future will show us that, but I think his ceiling has come down a bit to where now he's closer to that floor and some of those concerns that we have with him where now it's time to have some actual conversations where is his impact on the floor and the style that we have to play with him on the floor, is that advantageous to us considering all the deficiencies that we have while he is on the floor? Um, I think you stated it and, and made a good point, right? We saw units over the last four or five games after Trey's return where you saw Brandon and CJ and JV, and then pick whoever your um, auxiliary piece is, whether it's a Herb, a Dyson, um, a Jose, right? You saw those guys playing next to a guy like Church or, or a guy like Trey, who is trending in the right direction, whose game, you know, is built for the modern era of the NBA, right? He is a guy that analytics should love. He's either a guy that's going to dunk the basketball, or he's going to guy that's going to shoot a three, right? Which is a good fit. Um, in retrospect to when looking at guys like Brandon and, and CJ that certainly have mid-range capabilities, although their games have expanded and have become more versatile, but his game does fit very well next to them. And he, his game makes those other guys life a lot easier. I'm not sure that even when I see Zion playing his best version of himself, right. In a statistical manner, games that you think he has 29, 30, 31, and would, fall into the category of being a good Zion game. I don't really see those games as being easier for the other guys. It's just Zion's got it going and everyone else kind of just knows get the ball to Zion. But his gravity and the way that he plays and the spaces that he operates in, I don't think makes it easier for the rest of those guys. I mean, really, if you had to, you know, 
assess the four main guys or five main guys that this that this team depends on an offensive basis looking at brandon zion cj jv and trey zion's game is the one that's the least built for this modern type of game and is the one that is the the hardest um you know form of offense that i think um to to remain sustainable and to continue to build around and is able or is easier for other guys to play around um just because it, it is so limited it's, it's boomer bust for him and i think that's the concern right um all those other guys have the ability to impact the game on an offensive um basis on different levels of the floor right you see a game like tonight like that wasn't that was a master class from a guy like brandon right i mean he like you said started slow but was getting good looks and they were good misses right um and you knew inevitably based on his track record he was gonna find a way to even that out and, and he went well above that and had one of his best games of the year if not um his best game of the year right um did a really good job of getting to the free throw line playing around the rim he used his shot fakes really well um he was making guys pay um by you know when he was allowed to get to his spot he was doing a great job of finding his teammates in transition and and working out of double teams and I mean, you can say whatever you want to say about Brandon, but at the end of the day, he did the right thing. He he played to a level that demanded the Grizzlies to run a double team at him, which ultimately makes his teammates' life easier on the floor, and he did the right thing. He drew two, and he kicked it to the next guy and relied on his teammates to make a play, and tonight they weren't able to do that. Um, and and I, that is concerning to me because there should be, not, there should be no scenario – if you have Zion, Brandon, and CJ on the floor, if Brandon draws two, and you know you're going to have to respect CJ, there's no world where Zion should not be able to be impactful, right? Like just mathematically, in the amount of defenders that are on the floor, it sh they shouldn't be able to stop him as easily as they are. And and you're seeing he's struggling against length, and he's struggling to get to his spots, and he's struggling to explode around the rim. And I just think that that's just where we're at right now. And I think. This year, you're going to have to face that because Trey Murphy is coming. You know, the the direction he's heading in and the way that his game is fits the rest of this roster and fits the modern game. You have got to give him minutes and you've got to put him in a position to win. And if not, you're doing this organization, this franchise, and, and his teammates a disservice because of the abilities that he has on the floor. Um, and you know, there's often been conversations of, well, somebody's got to go, but it's hard not to think that Zion might in some way have to be the one that takes a back seat because those other guys have other skills that translate later in the year and are skill sets that you can't replace. Um, and those skill sets are maximized by Trey as well. Like they, they mend well together. Um, I'm never going to be a guy that says, let's go smaller. Right, I'm never gonna say let's get rid of Brandon with his length and um, his versatility and, and and Herb's length and athleticism to get Trey in there. Right, I'm on, I'm gonna want to get as long and as athletic and as rangy as possible. And unfortunately, it's starting to look more and more like Zion might be that odd guy out. Now, if that ever happens, we'll have to see. But I think that you're at least getting enough data at this point to say. Trey needs to have a larger role on this team. Not saying he's taking the mantle from any of those other. I think all, those three guys of CJ, Brandon, and, and Trey work really well together, and they'll figure it out because their games don't really step on each other's toes. Um, 
but Zion's the oddball right now. You know, he's got a, he's either going to sink or swim. He's either going to figure it out and get back to what he's doing. And I think then the problem kind of takes care of itself. But if it doesn't, and we start, we continue to get kind of this sporadic up and down nature of his performances, then I think we're going to have to have some, some pretty tough conversations. Yeah. And just to go off of that, it just, you know, all stars in this league, you know, there's a ceiling of the amount of points or shots they can hit. And you can go down the list of, yeah, this guy averages this many points, this many points, this many points. But at the end of the day, like, it's because they're getting those, you know, anywhere between six to 12 free throws a night. And you see on the lesser nights or the bad nights for Zion, he cannot get to the free throw line. And I don't know if that's just game to game. It's being called differently you know, in these bigger type atmosphere games, like we've been saying, like if they're not willing to give Zion the calls, he's going to have to force them to make those calls. He has to play with force and that ability at the rim. And, you know, I get it. I'm sure he's getting fouled on some of those, but like you're saying to have one or two trips at the line, 13 points, like that just can't happen in a game like this. You see his really, really good games. He's getting 10 to 15 free throws or whatever the number is. And that's when he's getting his 25 to 35 points in those outings. In the bad games where he's, you know, 17 or below, he's getting one, two, three, four. And I think that's just the difference. You see a Brandon Ingram on most nights, he probably scores a legitimate 20 to 24 points strictly on mid-range layups, threes, and he'll get his few free throws here or there. Yeah, and and the nights that he does get those, that's where you see monster games where he's able to put up, you know, 33, 34, and even looking at that 40-point game. I mean, he, you know where you're going to get from him night in, night out in terms of scripting him shots, and and he's going to give you a very high percentage of of making a lot of those shots. Um, It's just with Zion, a lot of it is dedicated with, I just don't know which, I think some of it is physical limitations. I think a part of it is skill limitations he just doesn't have a lot of things he can go to um to keep defenses guessing and and to be versatile right that's one of the things that makes brandon one of the hardest covers in the league besides being six eight six nine being very strong you don't know what what he's gonna do you don't know if he's gonna go left he's gonna go right he's gonna he's gonna pull up off one or two dribbles or he's gonna fade away or he's gonna you know ball fake get you up in the air get to the free throw line or get to the front of the rim or you go under like it's it's you're constantly being defensive as a defender because he has so many different facets of his offensive game that he can go to that that it naturally puts you in a defensive aspect as a defender and you can't be as aggressive when a guy is limited offensively and you know he has one or two things that that's the only thing he can go to it becomes a lot easier to sit on one of those hands and just wait for him to come into you and you know that guy's coming behind you you're just limited and i think some of the regression athletically has put a lot more pressure on that. And he has not, to this point, developed his game or added to his game to offset some of those deficiencies athletically, right? And that's natural. The guys in the league constantly are facing issues where they decline athletically. Prime example, look at LeBron from four or five games ago. I mean, he was the best athlete on the planet and his prime, and he's clearly had a, um, a decline um, athletically, but he's continued to add to his game, right? He's more talented than ever when he's operating in that low post or mid-range area. He's, you know, he's shooting a higher clip from the three-point line. Like, 
he's even adding to his game, and he's arguably one of the best players of all time. I mean, if anybody doesn't need to continue working on their game and continue to rounding out their their tool bag of things they can go to, it's a guy like LeBron. And then in retrospect, you have a guy like Zion that really hasn't done anything, hasn't been available, and has had more than enough time to add to his game. And unfortunately, we haven't seen that. And I think the more or the longer this season goes on, and the harder these games get, and the opponents are only going to get better and better and better and more prepared and more prepared and more prepared, it's going to be tough for him. It's going to be incredibly tough because guys are not just going to allow him to just run them over and get to the free throw line or get to the rim. Like they're just, they're, they're not going to happen. And I think if you're assuming that it is, I think you've got to be honest with yourself and, and ask yourself, have you seen that in the past decade, two decades? That's just, that's just not how the game is played in the postseason. Um, and I think that's, that's a real problem. Um, but again, a lot of it also starts with, this wasn't a game that we were getting a, a lot of effort from Zion, right? Some of those games that we've seen him have bigger nights, he's been impactful on the offensive glass. He's getting some of those put back rebounds where he's, he's getting it a foot from the rim. It can go straight up and play through contact. He'll get to free throw line. He wasn't doing that tonight. Tonight was a more of one of those games like Sacramento or LA where he was just floating around, didn't really seem to be in a rhythm. And, you know, you'll often hear people say, well, we've got to get him involved. But also getting him involved in the way that you need to get him involved also makes it more difficult for everybody else. Um, because there's only so many ways you can get him involved, and it looks the same. And, and it's a lot of standing and watching and hoping he can get to the rim and, and make some tough acrobatic shots around the rim over over length. So I think there's certainly a Zion concern. But on to my second point, I think that tonight was – um, you know, I don't want to have recency bias, but I tonight was one of Willie's worst games from a coaching aspect. Um, I I think he probably in totality coached from from one to forty eight a pretty terrible game. I think you just had some incredible offensive display and Brandon and CJ that really um hit a lot of that early in this game. Um, we didn't do anything late in that game or late in that second half as they were making a run to get the ball out of John Moran's hands. We didn't run a double team at him. Um, we didn't force other guys to beat us. Um, we had some very, very weird rotations in terms of um, Trey. Play. I would love to see the stat um, and how many minutes Trey played in the first half, but I know for sure he didn't play very many in the second half, especially when we needed him to, to space the floor um, and, and make Memphis pay for running that double at Brandon late. So I think there's some serious – um, you know, coaching questions that we have to ask Willie. He's had some of these games where it's just it, it's at a point where you really question like what was the what was the thinking here and, and how did we get to these decisions? Because it just doesn't make sense, right? Even guys that, you know, maybe don't follow the game as, as closely as others would consider, you know, later in that game when when you need spacing and you need guys to hit shots, you should you should have your highest percentage shooter on the floor. You know, and it's not like you're making up a huge sacrifice because your best shooter's six foot one and very like I mean he's six ten long athletic like if you can't make that work I I don't know what what you're gonna be able to make work you know it's just a very discouraging game in terms of that um, and it just it, it's just a problem I think we just got confirmation he he played about six six and a half minutes in that second half and that's just that, that's inexcusable I mean looking down the pipeline that's a guy that you're going to be building around and spending a lot of money to, to keep within this organization. And, and rightfully so based on his growth, right? It's just, 
it's just I have a hard time understanding how a guy like Trey Murphy with his skill set in a game like this only gets six minutes in the second half. Um, you know, in comparison to a guy like Najee Marshall who's getting nine minutes. You know, although Najee's been good, but he's he's not a Trey Murphy and, and can't, you know, offer that level of support that Trey can um to those other guys. So I think that's a big concern of mine. Um, you know, in terms of that. And I think I think he's got to make a, a conscious decision that I know defense is certainly his calling card. That's what Willie has leaned on and how he's decided to, you know, allocate minutes to guys. But at some point, I think you have to understand that you have the keys to an offensive juggernaut. And that's going to be the thing that ultimately, if you get to where you want to get to at the end of the year, I don't think it's because this team's going to be a top three team defensively. I think if this team gets to a Western Conference Finals, everything falls right, they end up making a Finals, it's going to be because they have so much offensive firepower that it's just it becomes too much. I, I think I heard it in the pregame. I think New Orleans still to this point is the only team in the league that has three guys averaging 20 points a game. Um, they have three very high-level offensive players. They have a guy like Trey that can fill it up in absolute bunches. You have a guy like Hawk who's coming off the bench that when he has had opportunities is You've seen that he can be ignited and and he can be incredibly um, explosive. Uh, this isn't a team that I envision winning games, scoring 105 points a game. This is a team that when you look deep into the Western Conference is scoring 125, 130 points, and they're running people out of the gym because teams can't keep up with them offensively. And I think sooner than later, you have got to lean into that. And if you aren't willing to lean into that, then I don't think you're the right guy for this job because you're you're wasting away what this team has that differentiates itself from other teams in the league. There's a lot of other teams that can sit down and guard, which is what we're trying to do, but there's not a lot of teams that can match our firepower on night-in, night-out basis in terms of um, our three high-level guys and the way that they can really, really disrupt the game from the areas that they operate in. And then guys like Trey, who um, you know, up until this point has shown that he can be one of the guys, those guys that fill it up from three as quickly um, as any guy in the league, let alone probably Steph Curry is probably the only guy ahead of him that I would say fills it up at a quicker rate. So um, that that's really my two main takeaways. Obviously you got to move on from it and hopefully find a way to correct those wrongs and, and get back on the winning streak, right? You let one slip away and I'll go get on another four game winning streak and, and figure it out. But um, we need to see a better Zion. And if we're not going to see a better Zion, um, we need to start, you know, making some tough decisions and, and having some tough conversations, and more importantly, I think I think it's time for Willie to set a little bit of his his own self aside. And I think we've really got to lean into um, our offensive guys, um, focusing on that end of the floor. Right, you're always going to have guys like Herb and Dyson and and Najee and Jose that can that can be in there with those groups to give you a little bit of defensive versatility and toughness. But this is not a team that's going to be, uh, you know, the 2004. Detroit Pistons. This is going to be a team that's going to be the Golden State Warriors or, um, you know, the Thunder, the, the team that just, just overpowers you offensively. And I think you've got to lean into it at this point. Yeah, like you said, Pat, there's just too many talented guys offensively on this team. And like I've always said before is, you know, the more you can get that middle of the lane open for a Brandon or a CJ to get in there and to operate and, you know, it's the the classic, you know, paint great, you know, get in the paint, kick out to all your shooters. I mean, just imagine a lineup with, you know, Brandon, CJ, 
Trey Hawkins. And if you want Zion to be that guy or Herb or whoever it may be, like it, it becomes a mathematical game. You get into the middle and you're, you're playing three on two basketball from there. And, you know, those other two guys besides the guy in the middle who's making those decisions are probably 40% free throw or three point shooters. And it just becomes a mathematical equation at that point. And like you said, you just got to lean into that and make teams pay. And that's what will make teams actually guard you offensively. I mean, you're going to be putting them in hell if, if that's the case. And, you know, I just, I don't know how you do it, but you got to give those guys uh, like Trey and even Jordan um, just more opportunity because he's been kind of, you know, dug in on that bench and granted, I get it. We're, you know, healthy team and, you know, you can't play everybody, but sometimes you do have to switch here or there and say, Hey, like we're looking big picture now. And this is what ultimately we will make this team better in the long run this year and years to come. Because when you think of it, I mean, I pretty much know in my head what guys are here and what guys aren't and could be movable pieces. But, you know, I think you got to, lean into it that way and uh, go with those guys. Yeah, that's really well said. And I think, you know, one thing that popped into my head as you said that is, you know, I'm sitting here asking myself this question is, you know, you're sitting there saying, you know, if Trey's out there on the floor and you have the shooting and you're opening up the lane, which has often been the, you know, the complaint with Zion is he hasn't had the ability to play in space because of that, uh, because of that shooting. But, I got to ask myself this question is if that, if that paint is open and you're paying, you're playing with a guy like Trey Murphy on the floor and that, that mid range area and the paint is, is not as occupied because of that. I think there's an honest question to be asked is who is the better offensive player? If that's the case, I, personally, I think Brandon is a better offensive player in that scenario. If Brandon's able to operate now freely in the paint and gets to the free throw line 10 times a night, I think his ceiling becomes way higher. And that's where you see him take that level of being a 27, 28, 29 point per game scorer because he has every other aspect of the game. If you're if you're putting shooters around him and truly opening up that lane, I think he's shown this year especially, he is very effective at playing in the paint and playing around the rim. And you've seen games that he gets to the free throw line eight to 10 times a night. It's almost 35, it's, it's 32, 33, 35, 37, 40. Like, he is a very explosive offensive player when you do that. And I think the question has always been, oh, well, if you open up the space for Zion, yes. But I think you just get the same version of Zion, just slightly better. But nothing is, you're not gaining anything by doing that. You know, you might get Zion who gets two or three extra um, open looks at the rim. But again, He's also just playing. He's only making twos, right? There, there's there's a cap to it. So I think not only does, ex, you know, stretching the floor out and, and giving those minutes to Trey and accepting that Trey needs to be the, on the floor, those other guys to play off of, I think you get the best version of Brandon out of that. And, and I think that ultimately, I think we've always had this conversation that Zion needed that to maximize everything, and we would get the best version of that. But I think you would see even another level of Brandon being unlocked because you're seeing that night in, night out. As crazy as it is, him at age 26 and being a, I guess you could consider a vet in this league, he's still expanding his game. He's still getting better and better and better. And, and the game is slowing down and you're seeing him adapt different things to his game. And like we said, he's playing at a very high level around the rim. He's finishing very well. 
And I, I know for a fact that if he was not getting as many guys sitting in the paint and sitting on top of him, helping off of Zion in the short corner or, or the free throw line extended, I mean, he would be even tougher to stop. So um, I think that's a true conversation, right? There's always been uh, can you really get rid of Zion because is Brandon good enough or have a high enough ceiling to truly be a number one? And I don't think you can answer that yet. But I think it's also fair that I think there's another level that he could and would go to if he had that amount of spacing on a night-in, night-out basis. Because right now he's operating with not much space next to Zion, you know, due to the duo. And he's he's really maximizing it pretty much every night. So. Yeah, I mean, I've been saying it for a couple weeks, couple games. You know, we we talk, you know, off of podcasts, and I've always been under the impression that the team looks a whole lot better. You know, unfortunately, when Zion is out of the lineup and when Trey has been put into that position, still coming off the bench. I mean, you take the Wizards game last week. Yeah, it's the Wizards, but that team was humming offensively. I mean, there's no joke that they score 142 points and Trey looks the way he does and gets the open shots he does. Like we said, I mean, if Brandon gets an open middle of the space, he's a good enough passer and a willing enough passer to get it to a JV, get it to Trey, get it to all these guys around the horn. He's a better passer than Zion. I mean, Zion's a good passer. No doubt, no Brandon doubt. Brandon is a better passer and a better playmaker out of that middle section of the floor, as he should be. He's mm-hmm. bigger, he's longer, he has characteristics that should make him a better passer in terms of his size and length um so i don't think it's a surprise there but he's also not limited to the fact that it's either a pass or a light like there's just there's a different level of it and i think you have to be either have played the game at a, at a high level or defend like you have to understand how much pressure that puts on you as a primary defender and the pressure it puts on you as as an off-ball defender knowing how good of an offensive player he is um I, I would be curious if you asked any other you know team in the league which guy they would adopt onto that team to make a run i would imagine 90 percent of the league would pick brandon over zion other top guys in the league right if you're looking at at the lebron the ad like i think other teams understand that his impact and his versatility and his offensive ability is something that is more valuable than the way that Zion currently plays the game of basketball. And I don't think you can pretend that you can keep kicking the can down the road forever because at some point something's got to give. And I think you've been put in a position where CJ's played well enough this year that you you can't responsibly take him out. He has earned a spot. Like he has done a good job of sliding down. He has been that auxiliary player next to whoever's got it going on. He's been efficient. He's been available. He has done everything that you've asked him to do, and I don't think that you can keep ignoring the fact that Trey is coming up the pipeline. Like, Trey is coming. You are going to pay Trey. That is not a a discussion. He is going to be one of your cornerstones of the franchise, as he rightfully should. Somebody's got to go. And I think the more you just ignore it and hope that it's not the case, I think you've got to be honest with yourself. I think Zion is the odd man out. And now, do I I know if you can salvage anything for him at this point and get whatever it is? I don't know that. I I haven't spent enough time thinking about it, looking around the league. But to assume that you're just going to keep doing what you do and you're just going to keep rolling Trey off the bench, well, 
Willie's not going to have a job if he keeps doing what he's doing. He has got to lean into Trey because Trey gives them the best chance to win helping those two other guys on a night-in, night-out basis. And yes, one out of every six or seven games, you will get and see the flash of Zion. But you can't rely on it. I can't rely on it come come March, April, May. I just can't rely on it seven-game series of a team scouting him and getting and, and making him score over the top and play other forms of the game. I just can't rely on it, and I think it's a decision that has to be made sooner than later. Yeah, and all those are very, very valid points. And to go along with what we've been saying with the spacing in the tray, and, you know, there's no questioning that this team even plays faster and I think that's the holdup too is they can't when Zion's in the lineup play fast enough and get into their offense which then makes them play in the half court and that's where I see like tonight if you're not going to call a timeout late in the game like what are you expecting they're not a good half court team when a team can set up their defense and when you've seen the games that he's been out and the offense has those guys on the floor they get stops, get the rebound, and they go. They There's no dis, like thinking about anything. It's just boom, boom, boom. Brandon here using the screen, middle of the floor, kick out to Trey, three, you know, CJ, same thing. And there's no offense that has to just be like, okay, let's pull it out. Let's do this. Let's think about it. It's like, no. But then it's when Zion's in there, he's trailing behind. We can't get into an offense. Then we have to hit, you know, hit high ball screens, get into an action. The middle's cluttered. Now you're kicking it out with four seconds left on the shot clock with a terrible shot, and boom, that's what you know loses you a game like tonight. Well, I don't think there's any question about it. I think for some reason we've always been sold this bag of goods that it's super easy to play around Zion and you just kind of give him the ball and just go. Like, that's just not realistic. Like Even when you look and compare putting Brandon at the middle of the floor, and I think if you rewatch tonight's game and really watch him operate, it's way more natural for him and the rest of the team to have him play out of the middle of the floor and draw two and make decisions out of there than it is with Zion. It's just, it all comes back to one thing. He is just too limited to be that impactful night in, night out at this level. It's just, you, you can't be that way. You can't be 6'6 and try to be explosive with no other amount of your game. And it's not like the only, like he gets compared to Giannis. Well, it only works because Giannis is 6'11. That's a massive difference than being 6'6". Giannis is bigger than whoever that secondary defender is that's coming over. With a wingspan. Yeah, Zion is smaller most of the time than the guy that's guarding him. It's certainly smaller than the guy that's behind him protecting the rim. It's not sustainable, right? Like, the the very best version that Zion was ever going to be was if he was going to be a guy that almost, like, slimmed down and truly became a wing, right? A slashing wing. They could play with his explosion at six, 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 seven. Him being a back to the basket, like isolate the one side, play at the free throw line, power forward is not the way to win in 2023, especially when you got those other guys in the pipeline. Like it's just, it's it's too late, right? It's just it's not a way that they're going to be able to win. To get him involved, they have to slow it down way too much, which which really makes the life harder on the rest of those guys that you want to make it easier for guys like Hawkins, Trey, CJ, um, even BI. If you look at tonight, whenever he's got it going and they're playing with pace, he even clicks it up a notch and he starts playing at a higher pace and he 
even plays at a better level. Now, does B.I. want to operate at 110 miles an hour all the time? No, but it's good because he can shift speeds. He can slow the game down possession by possession, and he can also kick it up two or three gears, and he can play in transition and play in semi-transition. And Zion just can't do that. Zion is all 0-60, to but his 60 is not full speed. Like, we've got to slow it down, pass it down to the block, and let him just do his thing and hopefully get to the – get to the free throw line or be able to finish at the rim. And I think it just, it exasperates the rest of the group because it's not this in unguardable offense that it's been like slotted to be where like all we've ever heard is, oh, well, if you just give the ball to Zion and put two or three shooters around him, it's, it's unguardable. That, I don't think that's, that's not true in a large sample size. If you give me two games with a six minute stretch, sure, that can be very impactful, but you can't do that for 82 games and get to where you want to be. And you certainly can't do it in a seven-game series when you have to win in the playoffs. Will never happen, ever. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, you know, we've we've said everything and all that and those two main points of, you know, just kind of the Zion and the Willie thing and making tough decisions. I mean, but that's why you're in that position. At, at a certain point, you got to say, hey, this is the decision we have to do. And if it hurts some feelings, you're just going to have to hurt some feelings. Is it? oh yeah, we all talk about wanting to win, but then when it impacts your minutes or your playing time, like how are you going to respond? Because my view is you totally lean in to Trey, Hawkins, and Dyson. And yes, Jose and you know Najee have given you good minutes and good stretches here in the season. But like I was saying before, the three guys that are probably moving along with your other guys in the franchise are probably Dyson, Trey, and Hawkins. At this moment. And that's just my view on it. That's just one particular thing. But if I'm looking big picture here with your Brandon going forward, you know, CJ's getting older. You hope someone slides into kind of like that role and we got a tray. You know, Herb's going to be here. You don't know about JV and Jose and Najee moving forward. But I think those other three guys, if you're not building up now, then why do you have them here? Why do you have the Dysons playing? you know, 15 minutes a night and producing and then not even playing Hawkins at all when in the playoffs, those are perfect assets to have. And so if you're just diminishing all these minutes and their playing time, how do you expect them to come perform at that level when it's like, oh crap, it's game four in a playoffs. Let's throw Hawkins in there. Well, it doesn't, that's the point. You're, you're answering your question. It doesn't make any sense. And that's the concern. It's he, Willie is going to fall back on what he knows, what he did as a player, and what he's comfortable with. He's going to rely and risk his job on guys that he knows are going to play hard and defend. And that's good to a certain point, but you can't reach your apex by playing that way. It's just, it's just not feasible. It's not how the game is played. The game is won on the offensive end of the floor by teams that can create the most amount of mismatches and create the highest shot value. Um, in terms of good looks, you already have a guy that is um, almost borderline, and the numbers will suggest it. He's almost a cheat code offensively in terms of generating good looks, despite whatever the defense is doing. In Brandon, he is going to get you a good look regardless of what happens. Now, if he makes it or misses it, I, you you don't know what's going to happen. But it's a relatively good look in terms of it. He's in the same cloth as a guy like Kevin Durant, you know, as a guy like Devin Booker who has had great. Uh, you know, runs here in the postseason the last year or two. Like, 
that's, that's what he does. And that's a great, and you'll hear almost everybody say it on telecast and guys that really know the game, but for some reason you get a segment of the of the fan base and the crowd that that, that really wants to harp on it and, and, and talk like that's the issue. It's not. It's a great thing to have. This team and this front office knows how valuable his skill set is and that you need to have his skill set at the highest level. You also have a guy like Trey that gives you the ability to stretch the floor and and get ridiculously hot and fill it up and be the great equalizer from the perimeter. So you have these two components offensively that you have in place. Now you've got to figure out the rest of it. And you've got to lean into offense. Like There's just no other way around it. There's always going to be a place for a Herb, for a Dyson, for a Jose to be that. But you can't build the entire rotation and your identity over we're going to be this hard-nosed, play at 100 points, 105 points defensive team because it's just not going to happen. You have too good of offensive talent to play that style. Like, no matter how much they buy in, Brandon Ingram knows he's an offensive weapon. CJ knows he's an offensive weapon. So if you're not putting them in a position to that you're going to play to their strengths, then you're doing them a disservice. So lean into the offense. Play. You can still be better than the other team defensively. Just score 140 points while you do it. Keep them to 130. You score 140. You still win. That's all that matters. But trying to beat teams and holding them to 96 points in 2023 is not going to happen. It's just not. Yeah, I mean, I think this has just been a good way to get a few things off our chest. And, you know, it's 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 to that point in the year where we, we've seen enough from certain guys or certain groups and seen these guys in certain games. And at this point, you got to either lean into what you're doing now and Honestly, I don't think that's the right decision. Or you do kind of a 180 or a 360 and you get the necessary guys on the floor that need to be on the floor in the allotted minutes to be successful. And that's kind of where you're at the, at this point. And I'm okay living with that. If that fails, I'm 100% okay living with that and eating that words. But I am not okay with how it is now moving forward for another you know 55 games. And then seeing it crumble in the playoffs like we know it's gonna gonna be. Pretty good. It's a pretty good spot to end on. So hopefully we can learn from it and, and we can go ahead and make some strides in the right direction and hopefully some of these things um you know are, are being seen and thought about by others who have control of the situation and hopefully we come out on the better end of it. So um with that, I appreciate everybody tuning in. Thank you, Tony, for, for hopping on and talking about this one. Um, this has been the Holy Hardwood with Pat and Tony. <laughs>